This is Dustin Matthews, and welcome to this episode of the Get Wealth Fit Podcast, where it's my job to get inside the heads of top money makers and investors and entrepreneur and reverse engineer the mindset and the moves that have made them so successful so you can replicate those same things in your own life. And you are in for an incredible treat today. We have a very, very special friend of mine and an amazing person that I'm excited for you to get to meet. She is the founder and global director of Worldwide Business Intelligence, which is part of a group of companies that serve a premium circle of entrepreneurial leaders that live around the world. Clients include award-winning entrepreneurs, gold medalists, management consultants, presidents of Global Speakers Federation, inventors, coaches, an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, sports celebrities, best-selling authors, and educational game changers. She is also the editor-in-chief for Lead Magazine, which shares the success story of amazing leaders that she comes in contact with around the world. And let me tell you, she has done business in over 50 countries, and it is climbing. Her business methodologies and techniques are licensed under worldwide business intelligence and used in international schools, business diplomas, and boardrooms all around the globe. Our special guest today is Landy Jack. As always, this episode is brought to you by WealthFit. Go to WealthFit.com slash 101 right now to claim your free Wealth Building 101 course. Inside the course, you'll discover some brilliant new strategies for getting out of debt, boosting your income, starting to invest, and a whole lot more. This online course is our free gift to you as one of our loyal podcast listeners. So go right now to wellfit.com slash 101. That's wellfit.com slash 101. In today's show, we're going to talk about the secret service. So if you're into a little espionage, a little bit of sleuthing, you're going to love today's show. We also talk about corporate drug busts. You are definitely going to love this story. And the real meat of the show is all about the money train and really how you can design a system for selling, a system for going and getting leads, developing relationships, and ultimately creating a long time journey with clients. We also get into what industrial psychology is and why you want to know about it. We talk about the power of LinkedIn and why it's so very useful as a tool and how to leverage it. And we talk about the S word sales. So with that said, let's get into this jam-packed show. The setting, South Africa, you were at university when a guy in a coat approaches you, the secret service (laughs) approaches you about joining them, but you turn them down. Londi, that would have taken your life in a completely different direction if you had chosen differently. How did you know, you know, at such a young age that no was the right or should I say appropriate answer for you? Dustin, it was a very auspicious day, I have to tell you, because in the beginning, I thought it was a joke. You know, the guy came in or he tracked me down in the cafeteria where I sat and uh, he actually asked if he can join me for lunch, and which in itself was a very weird thing. But I thought, you know, just humor me. And uh, he sat down while I was having my plate of chips and started to talk to me about my studies and why did I choose those studies. And I was explaining to him the economy part of it and industrial psychology. And he wanted to know what I'm going to do with my career. And I told him my plans and my dreams. 
And then he started to talk about a career in industrial espionage. And he explained to me that that really means that you're working for Bank A. They fast track you to the boardroom. And then you're also at the same time working for Bank B. And they fast track you to that boardroom. And then you have to bring information from Bank B to Bank A and vice versa. He told me, I'll never need any money in my life and I'll be looked after. And I said to him, great. I said, so what's the downfall? He said to me, in South Africa, it would be a life sentence. You'll go to jail and then oh. you'll get a life sentence or you'll be put to death. And I think that was enough for me to say no. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that part of the story. <laughs> Holy smokes. Wow, that is crazy. I realized then that it's wow. actually dead serious. And, uh, you know, he said to me, he was honest and open. He said to me, he's from an organization. You can't give the name, but they're mm. actively recruiting. Wow. Why do you think he approached you? Do you ever think about that? You know what? We suspect, and this is really only based on suspicion, we suspect that my grandfather on my mom's side was in espionage mm. because we can find no family tree for him. It just stops dead. Um, the DNA doesn't make sense. Uh, there's a lot of questions around him. He was a very fine man, very charming man. And, uh, but there's so much mystery that surrounds him that years after that, Many people have told me that they seem to want to recruit in bloodlines. You know, they look for family or family. That may be the answer, but I'm just not sure. That's interesting. You know, originally I was going to ask you the question, do you ever think back to like, what if you had chosen yes, but with like such a penalty for getting caught as death? But I'm going to ask it anyway. Like, do you ever think back or like it's night and day for you? You know what? There is something about it that was interesting for me. And what was interesting for me was the industrial psychology. I mean, I chose that subject for a reason because that for me is not just about the psychology um, that you find within an individual like clinical psychology. That is about group dynamics and the way that people behave in a group context. Now, we see a lot of that almost silly, hysterical behavior in a cooperation, you know, put a bunch of people in a building and it gets fun, you know, and yeah. there's politics and emotions and all that stuff. But I think, you know, what really made me think a lot after that conversation, I never in future thought I should have taken the job or anything, but he certainly got my mind going. And I was thinking, what's going on in boardrooms that's so alluring? What's so big in the corporate world at the top that people will go that far to recruit spies, to find the information from one company to another? And that really got me interested in strategy interested in good old business strategy. What happens around those boardrooms? And more important, what happens if you really start, decide to stop doing, start thinking strategically about things? Yeah. I thank the man in the coat for that, really. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like, you know, governments do this, right? Like it's, it's in movies and yeah. the news and in media, you hear about it. But to think about companies going to that level, I mean, that's pretty... That does it's get your there, mind going, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's real. We don't realize how real this is, but uh, it happens behind the scenes. And there is people, I won't say who make respectable careers out of it, but certainly make a career out of it. Now, it's funny, when I was doing background on you, master's, I mean, you're an achiever, master's in economy and industrial psychology, as you mentioned. And the way I read industrial psychology was like super psychologist, like, you know, like industrial grade but you said it's more about like the group dynamic. Will you talk a little bit about that? And, and like, really, how do you apply that today in everyday life? Well, industrial psychology really is the psychology within the business context, within mm. a group dynamics. Think things like consumer behavior, you know, how consumers behave, 
the way they set up a store, you know, the consumer goes closer to the checkout point and there's certain things set up there. And think about the psychology that's associated with branding and the psychology that's associated with, you know, when you put up a sales presentation and all those things. So it definitely has more of a it leans more towards group dynamics. It leans more towards how groups behave and it leans more towards what is the type of things that will influence humans as a species in how they make their decisions. So that's, I guess, why big data on those things these days are so popular because big data really provides people with incredible deep psychology and human behavior. I think just it's got a bad rap over the past few years because there's good people and there's bad people. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who take this information and misuse it to influence the masses. And then there's other people who use it to motivate. So this has just made me step a little bit out of the ring and take that one or two steps back and observe more of what's going on when it comes to either a person making a buying decision or accepting a marriage proposal. I think I would have loved this. I didn't even know, like, you know, you hear about psychology and or wish I had known about it in university. I think I would have really liked it because I really like influence and marketing and what gets people into action. I'm curious, though, how does your mind go when you're back in university? You're like, OK, I think I like psychology, but I'm going to do the consumer side. I'm going to do industrial. How did you end up arriving there versus like traditional psychology or something else? I think it's such a good question because the masses of people and clients I work with always come back to me and say, I wish I had better career choices. I wish <laughs> my options was on the table for me. You yeah, know? Um, yeah. Many people tell me, you know, they, they were aware of becoming a teacher, a cop or librarian, you know, and then as life goes and unfolds, you learn about your options. Um, so I was lucky. I just went for a general degree in economics, you mm. know, so, and I decided to do that as my career advice because I knew if I have a general degree, I would have exposure to different subjects and that will eventually, hopefully, take me down a path. And one of those subjects was industrial psychology. So I went economy, oh, no, please. Then I went, you know, it gave me a lot, but it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. I had statistics and I had all these subjects that's useful to know, but doesn't really make me want to get out of bed. And when I saw industrial psychology, I was like, this is absolutely, I, I just looked at the subjects and I knew. And it's amazing because with all of my subjects in, in school, high school, and all of my subjects in university, you know, I was one of those students that had to walk up to the board and make sure I just passed, you know, I <laughs> just passed. With industrial psychology, it was just cum laude, cum laude. I was getting honors yeah. and everything because I was in my space. I was in something that was really interesting to me. And it's crazy to think how many people are out there today still with all our technology and, and with everything we have that discover what they want to do at the age of 50 or 60 or never. Yeah. It is so powerful to find the thing that really gets you going. Like you said, yeah. like you can go through school, you can go through life just like hating it and just, you know, just barely eking by. But then like you just pivot a little bit, you find that field and like it just, you wake up at four in the morning or you stay up late into the night or, you know, work on the weekends just because you love it. Right. Exactly. And it's so fast. I, I want that for everybody. You know, Me too. I, I really do. And I think it's out there. And like you say, it's important. And I just want to echo what you said is sampling the things that are out there very much. It's very easy to stay inside your box. And so like going and doing the things that you don't think you really would enjoy, but just giving it an open space and opportunity. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's exposure. Exposure mm -hmm. is probably one of the best teachers um, because the more exposure you have and the more you're out there and the more you experience things, the more you have choices, real choices.
I love that. You are armed with these incredible degrees. You're top of your class there. Your journey leads you into the corporate world, but you don't stick around here. You wouldn't be here today if, if you didn't make that reinvention or that pivot like your partner, Mike. And so I'm always curious to ask those that you know are achievers and you know, find success in, in a corporate world, but then make that pivot, that sharp turn into entrepreneurship. What is your advice to those that are following in that footsteps? Like they want to make that jump. They're winning you know, in a career, but they just can't find themselves making that jump. What's your advice to kind of push them over that edge if it's the right move? You know what, Dustin, I think, you know, knowing myself now better than what I've known myself a few years before, and I think everyone goes through this process of evolution, if you may, I knew after probably eight years in corporate that I'll have to get out. I was getting to know more about myself and my value system, and one of my values is freedom. And uh, with that, you just cannot continue to work for a manager. Now, I'm not shooting down corporate because I think people, as much as they underestimate how much corporate can suppress you, they also underestimate the incredible skills that corporate gives you. But when you get to know yourself better and you understand your values better, which I know is something that you spoke to Mike about, some of these things become unnegotiable. Mm. And I knew at some stage that for me to leave corporate is not necessarily going to be a luxury. It's going to become something that's essential to my being. And because I had that honest conversation with myself, I had to look myself one morning in the mirror and go, you will not be able to last here for much longer, whether you want to or not. I start planning, started to make a plan. And a plan, even though it's one of the oldest words and the most overused words, is probably one of the most powerful things, you know. I just had to make a plan. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm going to probably need eight months of salary. I'm not going to sit in my first years of entrepreneurship and you know, go through the hell and the tears and the, the stress and the worry that anyone else does. Because if I'm going to set myself up to do that, I'm going to be back in corporate in no time. My family is going to laugh at me. They're going to go, I told you so. I can't tell you how far I've went in my life to avoid the words I told you so. So I thought I need a plan. I need a plan so that I can last in my first year of entrepreneurship. And so I observed and I studied and I look at some patterns around me. Another thing that you learn to do in industrial psychology is to pick up on patterns, you know. And I realized, look, the pattern here tells me that most entrepreneurs fail in the first year. The pattern tells me that they get out without any financial backup. The pattern tells me that they overspend in the first year. The pattern tells me that the moment you get a salary raise, you immediately spend that on something else. So let's step out of the pattern. Let's not do what other people do. And, and so I realized at that stage that when a person stay with a company and they get promoted, and when a person move from company to company and they get salary increases because of that, your chances of moving from company to company and earning more money is better, mm. in my experience, and where I was at that stage than staying with a company and climbing the corporate ladder. And I just kept on doing it. I just kept on jumping from a few jobs to a few jobs. And in my last job, I managed to, with that formula, double my salary. Mm. And uh, in that doubling of salary, I just put a rule in, and the rule was spend no more, put this extra money you've received aside, and uh, I put it aside. And I was, in a very short period of time, blown away to see that I was able to save eight months of salary. And then I made my exit. I'm curious, did you decide, you know, when you're putting your plan together, did you decide in that moment, I got to have eight months, so that day, and then you just start saving for eight months? Or did you kind of have an idea 
And then finally, kind of around the eight month mark, something bad happened, or you just got fed up, or you were just crystal clear. And you said like, today's the day. I'm curious as to what was that final thing that said, I'm no longer working here? Well, it's interesting because even though I got approached by the Secret Service or wherever this man was from, and even though I've never got involved in the Secret Service, from the moment I stepped into corporate, it took me probably two or three years in working in the corporate environment for my employers to start getting me to do undercover jobs for them. For example, (laughs) they would get me in to do a drug bust for them. You know, the CEO would come to me and say, Alandi, we've noticed there's some a youngsters using drugs or we think there's a mole and I'm going, I'm not someone who's trained in the belief service or anything. I don't know why people ask me these things. And <laughs> so this company that I'm referring to specifically said to me, look, there's kids here in the, the corporate environment that's using drugs. I want you to actually sort it out for us. I want you to investigate and we'll give you whatever support you need. And I had no one on this with me. So I literally would be at work five o'clock in the morning so that I can go through people's drawers and see what they're doing. And I would be watching cameras and I would be observing people. And so with my very first corporate drug bust, I actually caught out a bunch of very young overachiever kids who's using what they in those days called kiddie scoke. So I realized that these are young mothers and fathers who can't sleep at night, yet they go to work and they ask to overachieve. And then they take their children's medication, Ritalin. Oh. And then they squash that and then they sort of sniff that and they call it kiddie scoke. And that gives them this performance. Please, if you're listening to this, uh, (laughs) don't try that at home. So I had to talk to the IT department and have filters and and ways to find out that if a person send or receive an email with the word Ritalin in it, that we can interview them. And I interviewed a lot of people and I eventually came up with ways of them to split each other. So... I would say to one person, look, that person told me this about you and that person told me that about you and making stuff up. And then people would go, oh, you know, I thought they would keep the secret or whatever and then actually start talking against each other. And so with this very first drug bust, I actually followed this trail to a point where I eventually found a photo of the very CEO who hired me with Coke stripes under her nose. And I realized that she actually sets up this whole thing so that people can supply her with drugs, you know? So that was a big one. What do you do in that situation? You know what, by then I dismissed eight people already. By then I had quite a few young adults dropped off in a drug institutions, conversations with their parents. I realized there was so much more involved in this syndicate, if you may. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just looked at her and I left her office and a week later I resigned. I thought, you know, I cannot work for a company that that get me in there to do a drug bust, and then it ends up she's the culprit. So I went to the second company, and it's a long answer to your question, yeah, but yeah. the second company did exactly the same. Um, I was working, you know, I, I worked for these companies and from a risk and compliance perspective. So yeah. I did their policy making, and, and I was looking at the risk of the company, but for some reason they kept on dragging me into these things. And so I went to the, the second company after that. They got me in a drug bust involved as well. This time I decided I'm not going to go through that whole thing again. I got in my car. I drove to the nearest police station. I said to the people there, who wants a fun job? One of the police guys put his hands up. I said, come. I employed him as a ghost employee for a week and he busted the people for me. So that's how you learn, right? But the question was what made me decide I need to leave is the third company that I worked for 
had a massive strike with employees and I had to dismiss 16 of them at once mm. and take them to what is called in South Africa the CCMA. You may refer to it as a tribunal. People have different terminology for it all over the world. And uh, taking these 16 people to court and getting them to go into a, a mutual agreement with the employer, I got multiple death threats and, you know, people showing me they're going to cut my throat. And even with the first companies, you know, I had people sending me messages telling me, you know, you better get out of this drug bust, we're going to kill you. So where a lot of people got out of corporate because of immense stress and anxiety, you know, <laughs> death threats for me was enough to say, you know what, I, I actually had fun with this. I learned so much yeah. about what happens below the scenes, especially from a corporate perspective and uh, what people get up to. But it, it wasn't worth my sanity and my well-being. So I got out and I decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I am so glad I asked. I mean, like, <laughs> you can't even plan for that kind of story. You can't, that was no, awesome. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing. You're that. welcome. Hey, I want you to take a second and go to wellfit.com slash go right now. I'm going to do it too. You with me? Once you're there, click the big pink button that says start the course. When you do that, you're going to get a free online video course called Wellfit Building 101, how to get out of debt, boost your active income, and start investing for passive income. It's taught by my good friend and Wellfit founder, Andy Proper, and it's a really inspiring, life-changing course that's going to arm you with little mindset shifts and specific action steps you can take to experience your financial breakthrough and get well on your way to building real, lasting wealth for yourself and your family. Don't miss this. Thousands and thousands of people have already joined the WellFit movement, completed the free course, and are breathing fresh air financially, maybe for the first time in their lives. We're waiting on you. So go to wellfit.com slash go right now to join us and claim your free life-changing courses online. Back to the show. Well, one of the things that I'm thrilled about, you, your partner, Mike, you've created content for us. You've created, you know, obviously you're here on the podcast and we've got courses that you so graciously have created. And uh, I'm happy now that people will get that backstory as they, <laughs> they watch your course, which is completely different. It's not about corporate drug bus, in case you're wondering out there. <laughs> it's around this thing that you have both co-created called the money train method. And it's really targeted to folks that want to go from corporate and start a business or people that have already started a business but are you know a little troubled by sales or income coming in through. And so you've developed the money train, which I absolutely love. Will you give people a high-level overview of what is this money train concept? Sure. I'm very passionate about the money train because it helps people, right? I remember in my corporate days that I was seeing so many, uh, so much toxicity in the workplace. I know many of you listening today may still be in that position where you really want to have freedom. You want to be able to make decisions. You want to get out. But that bridge is just not clear to you. You've acquired a lot of skills and you have a lot of problems that you can solve for a target market. But, you know, now you have your entrepreneurial friends and you hear them fail and you see them fail and you go, oh, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that. And now you have more stress. And for many of you listening today, you may not be wanting to leave that job. You may be very happy there. But I also know there's a lot of people who want to get out. And the money train was created for you. It was created for you so that you have a simple five-step system. If you follow the rules and if you stick to it, and if you stick to it uh, with discipline, and with integrity, this system will work for you. So the money train has five carriages. It uh, goes doot, doot, kadoof, kadoof. 
And uh, there's method in the madness here. You want this money train to run. You don't want to give attention only to the one carriage this week and then you neglect the other two carriages next week. And this is what we find happen with a lot of entrepreneurs. Their business is disjointed. And uh, I think it's because of the way corporations teach us. You know, departments are disjointed. Mm. You have the HR department and sales and IT and everyone talk against each other. So we get into our businesses as an entrepreneur and work in those same silos. Everything's disjointed. Whereas the money train brings it together for you in five easy to follow carriages. Carriage number one is the lead carriage. In the course, we'll be talking to you about how you can actually define your ideal lead and then how to go out with a hunting strategy or with a laser focus strategy to find that person. Not that lead, not that avatar, not that ideal buyer, that person. That will then lead you down to the trust carriage. Whereas when you have that ideal person, what can you do to help them to trust you? You know, many entrepreneurs say to me, Landy, I just can't sell. I can't be in entrepreneurship because people reject me and I hate to be rejected. And when a person rejects you as an entrepreneur, it's because you've failed to get them to trust you as an expert. That empowers you because now you realize, look, it's not me that is wrong. It's not me that's repulsive. It is I have failed to get them to trust me as an expert because I do not intimately know them. Therefore, I do not know how to overcome their objections. Mm -hmm. So that brings you then into the love carriage. You've overcome the objections. People now trust you as an expert. Now you're building a relationship with them. Now you're actually getting to know them. They're getting to know you. It's becoming relational. What a lot of entrepreneurs do out there, they're transactional. They focus on the to-do list. One, two, three, four, five, six things to do. But in that equation, they do not focus on things like, how am I going to deepen my relationships with people? What can I do to positively influence other people? What can I do to groom my relationships with other people? What can I do to enhance my communication so that people actually want to have a conversation with me? After the love carriage, we're going to take you in the course to the sales carriage. Now, people dread sales like the Black Plague. I tell you, you probably experienced the same, Dustin, yeah. but people run a mile, right? And sales is not about selling something to someone else. It's about solving people's problems. So if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner with a good message to the world or you want to solve a problem, then sales is absolutely for you. Sales is psychology. So in the course, we are showing you a sales deck, a 10-slide sales deck that if you follow that formula, you'll be able to sell. Now, of course, you're going to have to practice it. You know, sometimes I work with a client and you start teaching them to sell and then they come back after a day or a week and say, I can't do this. I can't sell. I'll never be able to and then I say to them, to how many people did you sell? And they say one. And I'll never do this again. And <laughs> right, I say, you right. probably need to do it 100 times before we can continue this conversation. So you have to repeat the formula over and over again. And, and it will give you a formula to repeat. And then after the sales carriage, which is number four, you will be led then into the journey carriage. This is traditionally referred to as customer relationship management. These days, people talk about customer experience. Mm. Telling you, helping you there with formulas and ways to Take your clients and your customers through amazing experience so that they would want to come back for more. I want to talk about the lead carriage. I want to start there. That was a, sure. that was a great overview. The lead carriage, you have many different strategies, but one of your, your big strategies in terms of you know finding the right person, one of your favorite strategies is LinkedIn. And I'm, I'm curious as to why you 
like this platform on social media as one strategy versus some of the others that are out there? There's two main things that jump out for me. Number one is LinkedIn has the most incredible filters. So when you go into the search box and you put in there keywords like I'm looking for a chief executive officer, comma, in San Diego, comma, United States of America, you will get a list of people. And then you can test and trial with that. You can keep on playing with that. And you can now say, okay, CEOs does not necessarily bring up the list that I would like, or the list is too small. Let me put in there managing director. Oh, okay, that's interesting. In the United States, they don't necessarily like using that word as an example. Mm -hmm. Let's try something else. Let's put in entrepreneur. Mm, Okay, it doesn't really bring up the list that I want to. So you can really keep on playing with it. It's a filter system that helps you to play with that. That's really how me and Mike open markets worldwide. We play with these different words. You know, the same person that's called a CEO in the United States of America may be called an SME owner in Singapore Hmm. or may be called a managing director in South Africa. So this tool really enable you to come up with a list with a feasible target market that you can enter. That's my number one reason. Number two, it brings up faces. Faces? Faces, people's faces. You know, when you you have your list, when you have a potential target market in front of you and you start seeing their faces, then it humanizes it for you. You can read energy. You can look at your target market and scroll down and go, I like these faces. These are the people I would love to help. I love the way they dress. I love their energy. This is my people. This is my tribe. This is my crowd. And so LinkedIn enables you to do those things. And there's not a lot of systems out there that does that. I think, Londi, right now, a couple people are updating their, you know, maybe their little wacky LinkedIn photo. That they <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Because many people do say to me, I don't like yeah. LinkedIn. And of course, you know, yeah. it's your choice on which platform you sure. want to be. But sure. uh, these days, if we check people out, you know, uh, whether we've had them in one of our masterminds, whether we're going to have a business dinner with them, we check them out on LinkedIn. Yeah. And uh, many times now when you search for a person on Google, the LinkedIn profile even comes out above the website, which is crazy if you think how much money people spend on their websites. But, uh, you know, me and Mike are not going to necessarily, if we look into a person, go through the LinkedIn and the website and the Facebook and, and, and. We're yeah. just going to pick one. And so LinkedIn has really become the credible platform worldwide. I like it. I think like, you know, when, we, when we've when had guests for the podcast, you know, we're going to LinkedIn, right? There's no short. I mean, we use some other ones, but that's the one that, that really is telling. And actually, it helps me create questions because it tells that story if you really dive in, you know, the education and then how many years and then why do they switch this job if, you know, they have that or start this company. So I'm with you. So let's say we subscribe to this, right? So we, we go on LinkedIn. This sounds fascinating. We identify some folks. I want to talk about messaging because we've all gotten those spam messages. And as uh, I think as Mike shared yesterday, we've all got those pitches for, you know, hey, here's a free ebook, which, you know, no one ever reads an ebook. So what now is the messaging? How do you cut through, as as you like to say, the white noise to really create trust, as you guys call it? How do you do that? Yeah, that's spot on because what you want to do is you want to take this money train and you want to insert it into LinkedIn. And uh, we're using LinkedIn now here as an example as the start of a funnel. But I mean, if you identify your top three or four funnels, you can have a money train for Mm -hmm. each one of the funnels. But let's talk about the money train funnel for LinkedIn now. Now, when you look at the money train and you look at the five steps or the system here, 
you see that you have lead, then you have trust, then you have love, then you have sales, and then you have journey. So once you've identified the lead, the person on LinkedIn, you can literally have that name on an Excel sheet. And I'll go to the next step, which is trust and say, so what am I going to do now to create trust with this person? Yeah. Let's say the person's name is Dustin, right? Yeah. You can say, okay, I've identified Dustin now. His job titles is perfect for me in my target market. I like the energy of his photo. He's the CEO of a company. He's an author. He's a speaker. That's exactly the person I want. What will I do now to create trust with Dustin? Now, you have various options there. You can ask Dustin a question. You can get Dustin offline as soon as possible and have with him a coffee. You can invite Dustin to a micro event. You can mention to Dustin in a personal message that I know a mutual colleague of yours and they told me only good things about you. You can go and meet Dustin in his environment. There's so many things that you can do, but ultimately you want to ask yourself, you want to turn it around, you want to ask yourself, what would be required of other people to create trust with me? People say to me things like, Lundy, will I create trust with a person if I send them my book? I turn that question back to them. I say to them, would you trust a person when they send you their book? And the answer most of the time is no. In fact, I feel spammed. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Ultimately, you have to come up with ways on LinkedIn to get other people to trust you. Now, what works for me and Mike is questions. So we go to the person's profile. We actually go through the trouble of reading up about them, learning a bit about them, and then ask a question that's targeted to them. We would ask, for example, what's happening in their country on the entrepreneurial platform. We may sometimes mention a political question. We may say to them, you know what, we're putting a magazine together. We see you're a speaker. We'd love to showcase you in the magazine. Would you be interested or know of someone else who's interested? So all these things are quite sincere and authentic, but it comes from a place where we actually made an effort to get to know the person and then take them down a pathway. The more you do this, the more you'll be able to come up with trust strategies for your business that works best. So you mentioned lead, trust, and love. And in my head, it's a little unclear because like trust and love sound very similar, right? And so I want you to define that. So there's this building trust, but it sounds like then there's the whole nother next level, which is this love carriage. What's the difference between trust and love? It's a very good question. People do get confused of the two. The trust carriage really your mission there. Let's I know it sounds a little spy now, given that <laughs> <laughs> but you really your mission there is to overcome the person's objections. Mm-hmm. That's it. People are scared. And they're scared because they've been sold, they've been oversold and they're saturated with marketing, whatever. So we're all the same, you know. I call it the peacock. Brrr. You know, we we resist sales. So I'm going to use the analogy of a Thai massage because for me, it's a good analogy. There's a lot of people out there who wants to have a full body Thai massage, Mm -hmm. but they're uncomfortable with that because they have questions. The questions is, what exactly is that? Will I have to get rid of my clothes? Will it be cold in the room? Will they use oils that's going to make me itch? (laughs) May my partner come with me to this? And it's no different with your business. Mm -hmm. It's no different. You know your business, you know your products and your services, but this person that you've identified have questions and they have objections and they don't know these things. So the trust carriage is for you to overcome those objections. Now, you can see if you don't know your target market, you wouldn't know their objections and you wouldn't be able to overcome them. 
the love carriage, you have overcame their objections. They now trust you. Now you want to build a relationship with them. You want to get to know each other on a more deep and intimate level. That means conversations have to take place. That means you need to spend time with each other and eyeball each other. So to bring this back to our businesses, one of the strategies we use is that we go online with the lead, we create trust with a few questions, then we bring them into a mastermind where there's 10 people. During that mastermind, we ask them, what's your challenges? What can we solve for you? We create three hours of face-to-face trust with the person during that mastermind. After the mastermind, we invite them to a one-on-one online session with us where we only solve their problems. We get to know them more personally and just give them as much love as possible. So the relationship forms. That's the difference. I want to ask you about this because this was a big aha yesterday. And uh, I don't want to give it away, but I want to give people a little taste. Yesterday, one of you during the course when we were we were filming, you had talked about where you meet with someone matters. And I just think about so many people out there that are meeting at the Starbucks. The context was meeting at a five-star hotel. Now, you want to mirror and match. You guys are obviously going after higher profile people. We're talking LinkedIn, maybe execs or CEOs. And that was like a big aha because naturally everyone just wants to go to Starbucks. It's free. Everyone knows it. But you said that matters. Does that fall in the trust or the love? And then explain why it matters. It can fall in both. And I think the more you get into the money train, uh, you'll see in the course for the money train, we have a very specific section on love strategies. Mm -hmm. Uh, We call it the octopotion and it has uh, tentacles and things in there. But basically, we show you different things that you can use there as love strategies. But you're going to find in your business and with your specific sales funnels that certain things will fit easy and better for you in the love strategy part and other things better in the trust strategy part. Sometimes a trust strategy can be applied as a love strategy and a love strategy can be applied as a trust strategy or vice versa, but you're going to have to trial and test it. So whether you use this in your trust strategy or in Mm -hmm. your trust carriage or in your love carriage, environment is incredibly important. Environment is something that me and Mike take very, very serious. And if I'm having a conversation with you, Dustin, and I'm having a high-level conversation with you. And let's say I'm doing it to try and win your trust. Yeah. It is incredibly important for me that you understand that I view you in high regard. It's important for me that you know that I respect you. It's important for me that you feel safe and secure in the knowing that what I have created here is something of value. And To try and relay that message to you in Starbucks with a plastic cup in front of me, (laughs) with people screaming and shouting, where the cost of a coffee is very low key, the danger here is that the message that's been carried across to you is that that is going to be the foundation for our relationship. Uh, That's how it's going to be between us. It's going to be plastic, quick, fast, shallow. And that's certainly not the message that I want to bring across to my clients. And that's certainly not the message that I would want to bring across to you if we're doing a business partnership Mm -hmm. or a deal. So when we have these people in a mastermind, we make sure it's in the boardroom setup. We make sure the chairs is comfortable. We make sure that if possible, there's a beautiful view and that people feel listened to 
and people feel held in high regard. And then when we take them to the love carriage, let's say it's not an online strategy meeting, let's say it's an offline strategy meeting, we'll literally look for the best hotel in the area. And I mean, the funny part here is the difference between the coffee that you would have had in your cafe and the coffee in the hotel is minute. But the setting, the memory, the quality of the conversation is just so much better. Londi, you know what I find just so fascinating? Like, I know this, like, from seminars, right? And so, you know, you pick a holiday in, you know, a, a lower budget, you know, hotel to do an event in versus, you know, doing, you know, one at the Ritz-Carlton, you know, it's much better. And so I know this stuff, but when, when you talked about that or when that was shared yesterday, it was like another aha because you can know something, right? Environment matters. But now when you go to a salesman, I think of previous meetings I've had at the Starbucks and I know better, but it's just so funny how if you just shift a degree, how you can sort of like sometimes forget the knowledge you have because now you're in a new environment and you have to apply and take that stuff that you've learned and move it over here. Yeah. And so and that's just fascinating. That's why we travel because every time we're in a new environment, mm-hmm. we're in a new learning cycle. And um, the idea really with the money train is that you can really go and find these leads online, but the moment you you have an interest in them, the idea is to bring them offline into an environment that creates a special experience for both of you. Yeah. I want to talk about a little bit, you brought it up, people cringe, it's the S word, it's the next carriage, yeah. it's sales, <laughs> right? And you, you, even, you even proactively brought it up. Why do a lot of people get tripped up? Is it because they haven't established really trust and rapport and love with their prospects that they feel they have to resort to cheesy sales tactics? Why is it that so many people struggle here? There's numerous reasons, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, people know, we know that a relationship is something that's like a flower. You know, you don't plant a seed and then expect to get up the next morning and then, you know, there's a tree or a flower. You know, it, it takes time. You, yeah. you have to give it water. You have to give it your time and your attention. I'm always fascinated by how beautiful nature illustrates wisdom or mirror intelligence back to us. But because we're so disconnected with nature, we, we disconnect with ourselves. So this knowledge that I'm sharing and that you're sharing, people know these things already. They just need to be reminded of it. But um, The money train is like the unfolding flowers. So you can't expect a person at a networking meeting to introduce themselves and then go into immediate sales pitch and you're going to like them. You know, we don't want to be treated like that. I don't want to go, uh, hi, Lani, I'm Dustin, please buy this from me. I'm going to (laughs) go, no, and walk away because that is just human nature, you know. Somehow we expect other people to behave like that towards us. We want them to meet us then we want within split seconds them to trust us, even love and like us and buy from us. It's an incredibly unrealistic expectation. So that's why people know this. They know this deep down inside their hearts. So they know that they're trying to, it's maybe a bit harsh, but like foie gras, they're trying to force feed something without actually taking their time, investing their energy in the person so that that person can feel safe and secure. So a lot of people run from sales because of that. I also find with some of our clients that come into our universe that some people are not confident about the value of what they've created. So confidence is a big thing. I find it fascinating how many people find it easier to sell other people's products and services. But when it comes to their own products and services, they don't feel confident. And I have to tell you, most of the people I come across have fantastic value. 
Maybe they have packaged that value in the wrong way. Maybe they um, have not really branded it in the correct way. But there's always fantastic value, but people have a confidence problem. And that confidence problem leads to them not wanting to sell. And again, you know, me and Mike have confidence to travel the world, not because we did it once, not because we did it twice, not because we did it three times. It's just about repetition. If you're going to travel the world over and over again, you're going to become confident in world traveling. If you're going to have masterminds over and over again, you're going to become confident. If you're going to sell over and over again, you're going to become confident. Landy, we've all had those experiences where we've bought something, right? So we essentially have gone through the first parts of the the money train. And we've had those experiences where where a sale is made, a salesperson makes that sale, then they disappear, right? Like in a puff of smoke, right? And we've had a horrible customer journey. And so I would like for you to talk about the customer journey. So after, you know, the sale has been made, why it's so critical and what are some creative things that you're doing to make the journey, right? Or the customer experience or client, you know, onboarding, what you're doing to separate yourself there? Well, I think, you know, there's a big gap here again in some of these carriages. You know, a lot of people get onto the sales carriage, Mm -hmm. they make the sale they almost have a heart attack after that. They almost can't believe they made the sale. <laughs> but then during that process, they overpromised things. Um, mm. And then when it comes to the delivery, they run a mile and they can't deliver. So that in itself has made a lot of people resist sales. But for you as an entrepreneur, there's an opportunity for you here to be better and to overcome that by making absolutely sure that once you've sold something to someone that you under-promise and over-deliver, that you actually give them a fantastic customer experience. And the more you can get this right, the more your money train is going to have momentum anyway, because those people going to want to come back to your lead carriage. They might even ask you for upsells. And uh, you really have the opportunity here to co-create and co-partner with them and, and go, you know what, this is becoming a real solid model because it's not just the idea that I thump sucked uh, that I'm taking to market. I know there's a need and I know what people enjoy and what they love to experience. So the idea really is for you to overcome or to build a bridge between the sales carriage and the journey carriage. Mm-hmm. And the way we do it is with an expectations meeting. We literally, the moment we've taken a person on board, we have an expectations meeting with them. And we say to them, you know what, uh, you've been on this train with us now We've built a relationship over time. You came to trust us. Tell us what is your expectation of this journey now. Tell us what's the type of things you would like to see happening over the next three months. Tell us what you're excited about. Come on, tell us what you told your spouse last night that you're really worried about. Yeah. Okay, tell us what you're shy to ask us. I know there's a question in there. That's great. There's no such thing as a silly question. Tell us the type of things that your family and friends attacked you with the moment you made this investment. And what can we do to make absolutely sure that you won't be ridiculed in front of your family and friends for making this decision? Let's talk about communication. Let's talk about the way Mike liked to communicate. Let's talk about the way I like to communicate. Let's talk about our expectations of you. What do we need to do for you to rave about us by this time next year when your renewal comes up? Or what do I have to do in order for you to go and buy this product again? What do I have to do in order for you to tell your friends, this is is the best spend of money I've ever had in my life. So we have that conversation in the beginning of the journey, in the beginning of the carriage. And that is pure intelligence to us because 
Now we know how to continue our relationship with this person and make them feel truly loved. I imagine you guys have got this nailed, right? Your, this process. I'm curious about some of the clients, like you're teaching this process, like some of the, the well-fit tribe that's going to be watching this course. Is there ever, uh, I don't want to say a slip up, but is there ever a disconnect between that expectations meeting where now that new customer, that new client, like came up with some weird, grandiose expectations? How do you reset or realign or get back on the same page? And do you ever like let the client go and say, hey, we obviously must have miscommunicated. Here's your money back. What do you do in that situation? You know what? Our belief is that if you've put a real time effort and investment in your trust carriage and love carriage, your system almost become bulletproof. Of course, there's always anomalies. There would always be that one in 100, whatever. But in our experience with the money train, it very rarely happens that a person get to the point where you have an expectation meeting and there is a huge difference between the value that you offer them and what they thought they were going to get. Of course, as because in me and Mike's universe, we do mentorship and we coach people or whatever. I think where expectations sometimes break down is people think they're just going to nail the business intelligence, but then the good old you know, mind with its limited beliefs and <laughs> that seems to come in. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with we sold them something and they got something different than they bought into, I think that's more where the breakdown of old beliefs and old neurological pathways and old habits starts happening. But we address even that in our expectation meeting. So we foresee these things. We're trying to be two or three Mm. steps ahead. So we tell people already in the expectation meeting, look, in your third or fourth session with us, you're going to experience a breakdown in belief systems, you're going to question yourself and the world be prepared. And when that point come, we in a very gentle way say, we are now here, we're here, where we spoke about, so we foresee these things. I think what the money train does, which is fascinating, it helps you to intimately connect with a person before you even think of sales. And I mean, I make it sound like every person who's a lead end up in the trust carriage and everyone who is in the trust carriage end up in love and in sales and journey, but it's not the way. Yeah. This is a filter system. So many of them in the lead carriage fall out and get replaced. Many in the trust process fall out and get replaced. Same with love. So by the time you get to the sales, you have a very qualified, refined person that you already have a good relationship with. So the channels of communication is open. Got it. So let's say I become good at the money train system and the business is growing, you know, life is good. And I've recognized like maybe I shouldn't be in sales, you know, 100% of the time. I now want to grow. How then now do you take this methodology, this process, and really, I guess, outsource or bring in team members or automate this process? What we encourage entrepreneurs to do, um, especially because there's so much information out there on what you should automate and not automate. And I think the dream is sold to entrepreneurs that you can have a business where you sleep in every single day and, you know, miraculously things will just fall <laughs> out of the air and both me and you know, Dustin, it's just not the way things work. But you can practice and you can exercise and you can refine to the point where there is many of these things working for you as opposed to you working for it. So we encourage entrepreneurs to automate the lead carriage, the sales carriage and the journey carriages first. So if you want to automate focus there first, Look if there's ways for, you know, once you know what an ideal lead looks like, you can automate that system. You can employ a person to try and find those leads for you, or you can actually 
program, a software to identify it for you, or you can buy into a software as a service to do that for you, or you can partner with a company. There's so many ways, but you can automate that process. And the way you do it is you just map out the process. And then you decide whether this process is going to be handed over to an individual or software, whatever resources you have available to you. When it comes to the sales carriage, you can automate that as well. You can get yourself a sales team. You can train salespeople. You can partner with companies who can do that for you. You can find business partners who do not want to do the relationship part, but would rather want to do the sales part. Again, there's many ways for you to automate the sales part, but I do not encourage you to do it unless you get it right first. Yeah. This is your business. It's not the automating agent, whatever that may be. It's not their business. It's yours. So instructions need to come from you. Instructions shouldn't be coming from your outsourcing agents or your vendors or suppliers or your software. You, the master of your business. And then the third carriage we encourage people to automate is the journey carriage. There's a lot of the client experience. Yeah. Once you've done it over and over again, that can be automated, that can be delivered by someone else. Uh, that can be fulfilled by a software or online course, whatever. What entrepreneurs does is they go and they automate the trust and the love part. That's where it gets very, very dangerous. You don't want to do that. You want to stay in that as long as possible. And then when you come back to me later and you say, okay, now I'm ready for scaling, the first thing that I will assess, if you may, is I will assess how successfully you've been able to automate your lead carriage, your sales carriage, and your journey carriage. And then I'll also assess how far are you with the automation of the trust and love, meaning you've created sort of a license or an intellectual property or a blueprint or a way for what you have done. Yeah. There's enough essence in that for it to be duplicated now. And only then are you really at the point where you can start scaling. I love it. I'm excited for folks to get inside the money train and, and check it out because this is the end of our production journey here. Will you do the sound for me again? Kadoof, kadoof. Uh, I love that. That's inside the course too, uh, you know, for folks that, that are curious. Landi, before we conclude here, I'm curious, you know, obviously courses at, at WellFit, you're traveling uh, the globe and, and you're doing events. Uh, you've got a book that's coming out, a movie, a documentary in the works. What are you most excited about these days? Wow, there's so much happening in our lives and I'm, I'm constantly creating space for myself to reflect on what's happening because if you don't do that, it happens and, and you get, uh, I almost want to say hedonistic, you get to think that this is the way life is as opposed to standing still and looking at it and really, really appreciating. But um, what I'm looking forward to specifically for this year is I'm looking forward to meeting more amazing people like yourself, Dustin, and your team. I mean, we've had the most incredible professional experience, rich experience with you guys here. And I really, really want to thank you for that. It's a big reason why we do what we do because in this process, we meet like-minded people, and I'm looking forward this year to meeting more like-minded people. I'm looking forward this year to writing more. I'm uh, looking forward this year to getting deeper into what I call the university of the world, which is travel. You know, travel is probably my ultimate master. And in the process, you know, as we travel, I learn more about the planet, and I learn a lot about animals. I learn about their skills and behavior, and uh, I'm really looking forward this year to getting more of that into encyclopedias that I'm building, encyclopedias of animal behavior, encyclopedias of, um, you know, lots of things that's on this planet that provides us with intelligence, that is masters and teachers to us that other people do not have access to. And the more 
I get these teachings and the more I package and organize it in a way that makes sense for me, the more that get translated into our business intelligence to make business easier for other people. And, and that's really why we do what we do. I love it. I love what you and Mike are up to in the world. And I, I love following your travels and uh, just being mentored by you and, and just learning you know, from the, the, the intelligence, the wisdom that you guys get. And I'm excited for folks to get a taste of that at WellFit and they can check out your courses when they come out. For folks that want to you know, keep tabs, maybe continue the conversation with you and see you know, what country are they in uh, you know, this week or this month, uh, where's the best place for folks to continue that conversation? Um, I've not been on email for six years now, Dustin. I've, I've literally plucked that out of my universe. I've decided to remove that from my life. And yeah. it, it's been probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. So I am on LinkedIn. I do communicate on LinkedIn. It's probably advisable that a person find us there, yeah. um, start a conversation, maybe come to one of our masterminds. Uh, you know, we do fly around the world, so we're relatively accessible in most of the continents. We prefer people to come and you know, give us the opportunity to actually meet them, look them in the eye. But we are available on LinkedIn. I'm Landy Jack on LinkedIn. And uh, Mike is Mike Handcock, D Handcock on LinkedIn. They can find us there. Well, I appreciate you doing, you know, making the time for us, you know, flying all the way here, creating courses with us, doing podcasts and uh, just being you and for what you're up to in the world. The privilege is ours. Thank you, Dustin. I hope you had as much fun listening to the show as I had being a part of it and getting the nuggets. If you love today's show, listen to it again. And if you want to go deeper, be sure to check out her course on wealthfit.com, her and Mike's course. I want to give you a couple of the takeaways that I wrote down because we covered so much crowd in this show. So that's my job if you're just joining us for the very first time or first couple of times is really to give you what I thought the big takeaways are. Number one, you know, so much of success in life and, and even in my own life has been about doing things, right? A lot of us listening in, we're achievers in the way that we had successes by doing. And it's real easy to get caught up, right? Like you feel a sense of accomplishment when you cross off things off that to-do list, when you conquer whatever it is in front of you. And the one thing that I keep hearing more and more of that I, I really want to underline here is to stop doing, and then this doesn't mean like stop achieving or taking care of business, but what this does mean is start thinking more. And so her line was stop doing and start thinking. And I think as you climb the ladder of success, as you start to grow and expand, what got you here isn't going to get you to that next level. And I'm sure you've heard that. And so are you doing enough thinking? Now, if you're at the start of your journey, yes, you need to get out there and you need to do a lot of stuff. You need to figure out what's going to work for you. You've got to test, right? But for those of you that have a level of success, maybe you have that level of success. You know, if you feel kind of like in a rut, if you feel like you're just not growing as fast as you could, are you dedicating enough time to sitting down and thinking? There are books on questions to ask yourself and thinking, how do I know? I just recently got one. And so, the big thing here is really taking the time to strategize and really think like, is this a money generating activity? Is this strategic? Why am I even doing this activity? So big thing there, stop doing and start thinking. Big one. The other conversation that is a big, big thing for everyone is your value system. And you may already have this. You may be far along the road. 
This is something that I've been working on for the last two years is really defining what I stand for and what my values are. And, and the reason why, which we talk about in her partner's episode, Mike, so be sure to check that one out if you haven't already. It's really about when you get to a level of success, you come across opportunity. There's an infinite amount of opportunity. I know like you might be in a spot where you're like, Dustin, I don't know what to do and I don't know what's the right opportunity. But listen, I want to tell you that when you have a value system, when you know what you stand for, when you know things that you don't want to do, when you know the things that just absolutely light your fire, it makes it easier to vet opportunities, partnerships, you know, activities. And so if you haven't defined your value system, I highly recommend that you do it because you might not use it right away, but when the next opportunity comes, it's useful to have that card or that knowing in your pocket, if you want to call it that, so that you can weigh those opportunities. And if you want to go deeper in that, be sure to check out Mike Hancock's podcast episode because we, we actually talk a lot about that. So be sure to do that. Now, for my friends that are in the corporate world or have a job or maybe doing something that you know they're doing, but they're not passionate about, maybe you just don't like the job and you want to get into another job. Maybe it's that you're in corporate and you know you want to be an entrepreneur. Whatever that situation is, there are two trains of thought here. One is, which is funny, right? Trains, money train. It's funny because you can just burn the bridge, right? Burn the ships and just jump into that next thing, right? And just make it happen. What Londi recommended, which is, you know, there's no one answer here, but this is something that I feel doesn't get communicated enough is planning for your exit, right? Yes, you can burn the bridges, right? Your back's up against the wall. And with that comes stress and anxiety, right? Because you're forced to make something happen. And some people thrive that way. You may thrive that way. The other option is to plan your exit. And so one of the things she said very early on is she knew she was going to jump ship. And so she saved up eight months of salary before doing it, which is very, I think, smart. I wish I had done that, right? To have a big reserve or some reserve. I had to use credit cards, right? And, uh, you know, having that is very powerful. So maybe you're in that spot right now. Maybe you want to start a new business. Maybe you want to invest in something. Why not start planning for that? You know, remove the emotion from it. Don't let it get to that point and just be smart and be strategic about that. So make that plan. Another big bullet point is looking for the patterns in life. And I think, you know, people that come out of, you know, like Landi did, you know, she came out of school looking at economics and numbers and things like that. You know, they're sort of trained to look for patterns. I think for the rest of us that maybe don't have that, you know, experience or never even thought about patterns and things and just kind of like to think like we create our own world. And so what I found as I continue to walk this planet is there are seasons in life, there are patterns. And so it's funny because I think the elder generation, looks at some of the things that we did and said, you know, I, I recognize this very early on in my life. And we all think this is happening for the very first time. And, you know, I'm a big believer that there are patterns out there. You know, obviously, if you're investing in stocks, this makes sense. But even in your own life, even in around the world, again, we think things are happening to us for the very first time. Odds are there is a pattern, not to say that's the same thing, but the big lesson, how do you use this? The big lesson is look for the patterns in your life. Look for the patterns in your business. Look for the patterns that you're doing on a day-to-day. -day. And just by having that awareness, new things are going to open up to you. You're going to have different realizations. And I think that's very powerful because these patterns do exist. And I think the most successful people in the world from interviewing them here on the show and, and being a part of these courses at WealthFit, the most successful people have figured out what those patterns, what those systems are and leverage them and improved upon them and tinkered and tweaked with them. So look for those patterns in your life. 
Now, as it comes to the big meat of the show, the money train, which is really about finding, it's having a system for finding and identifying the right customers and then having a trust, having a conversation, having a sales messaging, and then taking care of that customer or that client. This is very, very powerful. It's really about having consistent cash flow. And so, number one, for those of you, especially in professional services, I love the idea of LinkedIn. If you haven't investigated it, it's actually one of my more favorite platforms. I feel like business is done there versus on Facebook. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we advertise WealthFit. We communicate. You'll see posts from me there. But I just feel like the experience now on LinkedIn is uh, very powerful. Now, I want to say this with a little caveat. Maybe your avatar isn't there. And so you need to be mindful of that. But for those of you that are looking for you know, a very similar marketplace for a very similar person, maybe you want to sell higher ticket stuff, love LinkedIn. And the reason that I'm bringing this up as well is Londi said something to us about a filter system, right? The money train is a filter system. LinkedIn, when you use it the right way, is a filter system. If you know the titles, if you invest the time to find it. And so bring this approach, you know, filtering and to find the right people to work with. And I know very early on for me, it was like, just send me anybody because I didn't have that awareness of, you know, not all clients are created equal. Some are, you know, a lot of fun, some are not so much fun, but, you know, especially in the beginning and the biggest piece of advice that I could re-give to you because Landy gave it to us is define who it is that you want to work with and work backwards from there and really get clear around that. And, you know, if you don't know what that looks like, I mean, think of the ideal dream scenario. People happily give you, you know, five figures, right? And they're fun and they're easy to work with. You're personally engaged, right? So even just kind of charting out the story of, of what that looks like would be very, very powerful. Now, as a reminder, the five carriages, the lead carriage, the trust carriage, the love carriage, the sales carriage, and the journey carriage, these are all great ways to look at a pipeline. These are all great ways to think about the sales process and to ensure that you have cash flow. And so when you think of each one of these as a system and you, and you dive in, like Landy has shared, you can automate this process, but also too, you can improve each one. And so it's important to you know get to work, but also to now take a moment to step back once you've you know, had a couple of people come through this process and really refine your message. You really want to be creating systems. And that's one big mistake early in my career. I wish I had really, really grasped and learned. I very much wanted to be the guy involved in each one of the stages of the process. And, and that's powerful. And I did for a long time and we had success. However, it didn't give me the freedom that I really want. So make sure to be thinking about systems and removing yourself as the expert. And if you are struggling with sales right now, the big underline I put here is odds are, especially if you're having conversations, right? If you're taking them through the money train, odds are you fail to get them to trust you as an expert. Listen, you don't have to be a great salesperson. I've seen it. I don't consider myself to be a great salesperson. However, I am very savvy about marketing and positioning and building trust. And so when you do that and invest the time and understand who your avatar, who you're speaking to, your audience, when you do that, you don't need to sell that. You don't have to be a great salesperson. You just need to simply make invitations. And so a lot of people think like you need to be this great salesperson. I need to work on these skills. Yes, you do. You need to be influential in your communication. And what I would say is work on the marketing, work on the trust, work on, you know, building that and create 
relational relationships versus transactional, transactional relationships, being a one-off. Think of long-term versus short-term. Think of stop doing and start thinking. And so, so many takeaways. I'm very curious as to what your takeaways are on the money train on Landy. And if you want a little more of this, I want to encourage you to go check out her course on the money train that gives you tactical information and walks you through step by step. Let us know how we're doing on social media, especially on this episode. Would love to engage with you and appreciating all the feedback that we're getting. That is it for now. Can't wait to have you back for the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Wealth Fit. Did you have an aha moment or two during the episode? I want to know. Remember, life doesn't pay you for what you know. It pays you for what you do, for the actions you take and the moves you make. So take a second right now and go to getwellfit.com. You'll find a printable recap of this episode, links to things we mentioned in the show, and some exercises that'll help you start taking action on the things you've learned. You can also get in touch with me, Dustin Matthews. That's getwellfit.com. Go there now, and I can't wait to talk with you again on the next episode.